Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Tech Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome once again to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, as well as our show on air with RT and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, we keep you up to date with all things tech every day with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. This week we have two very interesting interviews for you. The first is with Simon Lewis, who is a well-known tech activist and principal of Carlo Educate Together. And he has some very interesting views on how technology is changing in the classroom. Niall Kitson found out more. I'm speaking now with Simon Lewis, who, amongst other things, is the editor of Unshot.net, but uh, probably better known as the principal of Carlo Educate Together at primary school. Uh, and he's a well-known technology activist uh, and founder of hashtag EdChatIE. No, actually not. No, no, that was a guy called Fred Boss. I, I, um, I, I'm, I'm very happy to be tagged in the same name, but uh, <laughs> no, that's all his baby. Ah, right. Well, if, if you're around, uh, it's a weekly thing, isn't it? It is, every Monday night um, from half eight to half nine uh, during term time. And uh, it's grown, grown from a tiny, tiny little seed, and it's now uh, one of the most used um, social platforms by, from, from teachers across the three levels. So it's uh, been a great success story. And a great way just to, to dip in and see what the conversation uh, is like at the moment. And not, not always negative, uh, uh, I think it's fair to say. An awful lot of genuine exchange of ideas. Yes, and, and, and most interesting for me that uh, when it started is uh, basically talking about technology um, and solely technology, but it's, uh, and it's actually developed into just generally talking about educational matters, um, you know, more generally um, over, over the last couple of years. And uh, it, it's interesting that it's, you know, it originally uh, it was just the technologists that were using it, but now it's, it's, it's pretty much been absorbed and, 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 and uh, it's working very well with teachers who don't, who don't particularly have an interest in technology but are using the technology to uh, talk about other things, which is, which is exactly what you wanted to do. And that's pretty much where we're entering our, our conversation here today. Um, so let's look at the, overall how technology is impacting the classroom. I mean, I've been reporting on technology in schools for about 10 years now and the same themes keep recurring that very often it's coming down on the shoulders of individual technology evangelists pushing technology into the classroom either their own classroom or trying to get other people invested in the benefits of technology and um, when you know there still exists this element of pushback that you know we've got our criteria to fulfill or my students are doing perfectly well without any of this newfangled stuff coming into my room this is only going to increase my workload is that sort of mindset still with us or are we entering the stage where teachers are going, okay, well, look, my own kids are learning to code. My own kids are on Facebook. My own kids can use Twitter. This is just the language of the classroom now. Um, yeah, I, I think yes and no. I mean, it's, it's interesting, like uh, 10 years ago when you, when you started off, if we even go back 10 years before that, uh, it, we were at a point where technology was really at first being introduced into, by the government into, into schools, sort of the, the, that famous kind of um, uh, IT2000 uh, scheme, which was, the, which was the start of really, I suppose, technology really being embraced in schools. And most of teachers at the time uh, didn't know how to maybe even switch on a computer or use a mouse and things like that, things that, you know, 
ten years later, when uh, when you started, were, were were fairly you know most people knew how to do those things, but they didn't really know how to use them to uh, to embrace technology. And when you started, social media was was quite a, a young um, in its youth, and again. While teachers are using technology at home, they weren't. Um, it wasn't kind of mirroring into education. But ten, we're going ten years again, and now you were saying uh, teachers, uh, children are using social media. It's teachers themselves that have, are, are now in their uh, are that generation that have grown up with knowing nothing but technology. Uh, so uh, I mean, anyone under the age of thirty has always been in a world where technology existed, and most teachers are under the age of thirty now, and uh, therefore it would. It, 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 there's, there's not an issue with actually using technology or knowing how to use technology. The issue still is about um, how do we use it best to help children learn. And uh, I think that's where the conversation is now. It's, it's kind of a, it's a nice way because um, that, that, that point of where we had to teach, uh, teach teachers actually how to use the technology is, is, is more or less gone. They already know. Um, the, 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 big, the big question is how best do we use it? And that sort of brings us to the topic of what's actually working. I mean, everybody brings their own competencies, whether it's being able to put together, you know, a a really nice looking Word document or a nice PowerPoint presentation, this kind of thing. So what do you find is actually working in the classroom? I mean, for for example, are virtual learning environments like uh, Moodle, um, are they sort of plugging a gap? Are they sort of bridging that sort of divide between the teacher, the student, and maybe maybe the parent. Um, what, what is actually working at the moment? Well, uh, certainly on the uh, idea of uh, virtual learning environments, uh, I mean, Moodle isn't, uh, isn't the, the, the flavor of choice in primary schools at all. It, it, it's, it, it doesn't seem to have, um, you know, captured the... The, 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 the appetites of, of children or, or, or teachers is quite a clunky kind of you know it's been around for a long time so most people know how to use it but at the same time it's not it's not designed with children in mind but there are uh, other um, systems that, that have been developed over the last 10 years which are working really really well um, one uh, great success story really, I suppose at the moment is a, a, a free um, uh, kind of program called Class Dojo which uh, many teachers would use for behaviour management but it's expanded into a, a whole uh, kind of communication uh, tool between parents and, uh, and children and uh, teachers to just kind of in a way have a private social network between them and almost like a face Facebook uh, type scenario where uh, teachers can be can talk to parents quite easily. Um, another success has been Google Classroom. You know, it's a quite recent uh, development in the last few years. But there's a number of schools now um, using Google Classroom quite effectively, uh, even for um, putting up homework uh, at the start of a week, and um, and and the ability then to um, display videos um, or display uh, social content to, uh, to 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 children and families at home, rather than a boring kind of homework notebook which would just be um you know a bit of writing or a, a bit of reading so it's it's added that uh, extra dimension of uh, a, a more of a visual dimension to learning and um i suppose they're the two biggest success stories in terms of virtual learning environments um but i'd say more successful than anything else uh, in the last 10 years is video i think video has been the single biggest success in primary school um teaching and learning uh, over the last uh, number of years um, and how it's been used by teachers, by children um, to to um, put across a message, whether it's um, recording an interview with somebody, whether it's making a, a, a video about, um, I don't know, about the Vikings, if they're learning about the Vikings. It just has added this dimension that just wasn't there before. And uh, because we're living in a world now where everybody's videoing each other and uh, with Snapchat and so on, um, 
it's it's so natural that uh, it's it's I think it's probably the biggest success story. Right, and that's that's a very different skill set that that you know kids are bringing into the classroom as well. That uh, if you if you can frame a lesson, I suppose from the perspective of yes, you'll be learning about this, but you know you will actually be able to take better videos at the end of it as well. Do you think there's there's that sort of uh, almost payoff uh, in terms of the classroom? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, the, the thing about video is that, it, that we're, we're, we're finished in the days of making good quality video, you know, where, where it has to be, you know, it, 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 it's all this uh, short, snappy, you know, I suppose what Vine was trying to do a number of years ago, mm. uh, where you can make a very quick, uh, snappy uh, little uh, video that doesn't really have to look good. You don't it, it, to transfer it onto the internet or to transfer to show it to your teacher just takes the press of a button. So it, it's, it's, it's been made so easy um, that actually there's very little skills uh, involved and also because this, uh, the generation of teachers that are teaching now and the children are so used to it and pretty much live their everyday life um, you know, normally through making video it just seems a natural way to you know, get across things and uh, I, I'm, I'm almost surprised by how it, ac- it more or less accidentally has become a really good way of, um, of, of, of learning um, and showing learning and, uh, and, and even um, you know reaching an audience that you wouldn't normally uh, reach. I mean, you, you, you can't go a week um, in, in, during term time without a school being highlighted on uh, some form of a, you know, um, media journal of some sort. Look what this school has done and, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, doing a different dance to the happy song or whatever or even actually do, giving out a so, uh, you know, social justice message or whatever it might be. Video seems to be the, 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 the medium that's uh, been most successful. I guess when we look at anything like the education system, which is which is state monitored, you've got the pace at which things are changing and the pace at which the state can actually keep up with them. And, and of course, they're completely different uh, tempos. So when we're looking at how sort of the Department of Education and the state in general is engaging with technology, I, you kind of have to start at the basics of broadband at the moment. I mean, I, again, going back 10 years and, and uh, of course, but beyond that, it, it was always about, you know, we need to get the infrastructure into the classroom before we can really start leveraging um, technology. Now, uh, apparently, there is the 100 megabit broadband scheme. The you know the the idea being to get 100 megabit broadband connections to every school in Ireland. Do you do you think the scheme has delivered? Uh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, not, not. Not at primary level. There is no schools, uh, no primary schools in uh, in Ireland with 100 megabits of broadband at this point of our conversation. Um, it, it's um, secondary schools. Certainly, uh, there was commitment to have 100 megabits in every secondary school, and I believe that is uh, getting to be delivered. But the commitment from the government currently for primary schools is that they would hope uh, to have fast broadband in 40 percent of schools by 2020. Uh, now that. That's um, that's um, a lovely promise because it's easy to, and it's an easy one to keep because I would imagine forty percent of primary schools right now in the country do have what what would be termed as fast broadband. I think that's at least thirty megabits um, in 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 their um, in government language. So um, I, I I'm I'm not particularly confident um, that that's going to change, um, and it's it's actually becoming. Um, almost a crisis that you're, you have some schools with reasonably good broadband and then you've got 60% of schools who ha- are still working off satellite kind of and, and bad satellite kind of quality um, you know less than a megabit um, and trying to run classrooms uh, and so often big schools with tiny uh, connections 
So it's, um, I mean, that's one one side. I mean, if there was, if the government could do one thing, it would be to make sure that all schools had good broadband. It's it's actually impossible now to teach the full curriculum without um, without good broadband. And, and I, I, I'm I'm delighted I can say that <laughs> because ten years ago I wouldn't have been able to say that. Uh, you know, and what wouldn't be the interest. But uh, in my in my school, of the internet, I used to think uh, maybe ten years ago when I was teaching um, in, in a particular school, if the internet went down, someone mightn't have noticed for a couple uh, for a few um, for a couple of days. Whereas uh, within seconds of the internet going down here, if it ever goes down, um, it you know you may as well you know turned off the oxygen. It's um, it's it's and that's a, that's I, I think that's a great thing, uh, but it needs to be fixed and and much more quickly than the government proposing. And some of the things that, um, again, I've, I've sort of been keeping track of throughout the years is when an emerging technology arrives, um, there's usually this sort of scramble to find various, you know, feasible applications for it in different settings. We've seen it a lot in wearables where if, a, if it's a case that the, the consumer element of something has fallen down, it'll probably find use in the enterprise. Um, mm. One of the great consumer devices uh, or rather consumer pilot projects that I saw happening in schools a while back was when Sony were still making e-readers and they were pushing them into the classrooms and at the time I thought well okay th- this could be absolutely fine um, a good solution to, uh, to textbooks because they're so expensive um, but here's the thing you've got a fairly expensive piece of kit what happens if it breaks ultimately Sony got out of the e-reader market so for me that's uh, it's remained a little bit of an open-ended question so are we seeing the likes of e-readers coming into the classroom or is it still chalk talk paper it's, it's, it's neither. Um, it's, it's, I think uh, chalk talk and paper is gone um, uh, more or less um, at primary school for quite quite a number of years um, to a point. You, uh, but uh, e-readers, um, I don't think are going to. I don't think e-readers are going to happen um, at, at a primary level for two reasons. Uh, one, uh, because um, tablets. Um, fully functional tablets uh, will do everything an e-reader does and more. Uh, so they, they, they're already obsolete um, uh, in terms of what an e-reader would do. And uh, secondly, primary schools are moving away from books anyway. Um, the the I um, the I suppose the, the days of um, having you know a subject-centric curriculum where you had a book for English, a book for Irish, a book for you know that kind of thing. They, they, these, these things are disappearing very quickly, and you're finding much more. Um, uh, learning is becoming uh, much more uh, pupil-centred, and um, and the I, I guess the internet is sort of taking over uh, in terms of uh, getting information um, that they might need to know. Uh, so rather than having a textbook that somebody decided um, their children uh, would need, to, all of the children in Ireland would need to learn the contents of. Um, you know, individual schools are saying, well, actually, you know, it's not really that relevant. We're more interested in what's going on in our local area and uh, we should teach children this and the information is there. So I think, I mean, education generally is changing um, at the moment uh, because of technology, uh, but certainly not in the way I think that uh, it might have been preconceived through, you know, e-readers or, you know, whatever whatever technology, um, you know, that some business might have thought would work. And that was Niall Kitson talking to Simon Lewis, uh, one of our favourite tech activists in the country and, of course, principal of Carlo Educate Together. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Next this week, we're talking to Sean Moynihan, who works with Alone, the organisation that supports older people. They're also doing something very interesting with tech and Niall chatted to him to find out more. 
Alone is the charity that supports older people in Dublin and across the nation, and they're doing something very interesting with technology at the moment. So to uh, explain their current project, Sean Monaghan, who is the CEO of Alone, is joining me on the line. Um, Hello, Sean. Hello. Thank you. Uh, Okay, Sean, let's just jump straight into it, because uh, as I said, this is a very interesting project, and I guess... It involves sensors, it involves mobile apps, but but let's kick off with the role of technology in a charity such as Alone, because when you're dealing with older people, immediately the stereotype springs to mind of someone that isn't either isn't comfortable with technology at the moment or has no interest. I mean, is there some validity to that stereotype still? Oh, absolutely. I think what I'd say to you is, is it is a stereotype. There's some validity. Like all stereotypes, there's always a percentage of people that fit into the category. But as I always say, mobile phone is 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 over 20 years old. And in some of what we're doing is, is we're just teaching people how to use technology they have in a slightly different way. Ultimately, older people that we deal with still want to learn, still want to participate. So in that, that respect, is, is we want to get as many people engaged as we can. Yeah, I think that point about the smartphone being everyone in everyone's hands is, is really a thing. I mean, the, uh, of the two sort of major uh, technologies that you'd look at that older people have embraced, um, I guess it comes down to Skype, really. Was it, was that really the killer app, do you think? I think it was. I think it was, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, um, necessity drives invention and ultimately things like the, the recession where people moved away and people learned how to communicate with maybe daughters and brands grandchildren who are now further away drew drew people on plus on top of that is is people don't want to be left out as they get as they get older regardless of whether they may be a little bit slower or maybe their health isn't great do you know what i mean ultimately what we can do is actually use technology to, to drive human contact and that is ultimately what we're our platform is trying to do Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the platform that you're uh, implementing at the moment. Um, now, this uh, this is aimed at at, young, at older people who are living on their own. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I suppose our journey around using technology probably goes back around five, five, seven years, right? And the first thing is, is it started with the organisation itself. So if you take a, 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 non, a non-profit, we help people age your home by providing them with befriending, practical support, and, all, and staff coordinating all the different services in the community for them. So we started with ourselves and we computerized everything. So you're trying to capture all the people you helped, who, where, when, and how, and meet all our regulators and produce... And, 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 and for all our stakeholders, whether it's donors, whether it's older people, whether it's boards, whether it's regulators, to show the work we were doing, right, and use that. So it started with the management information systems. And then what we've done with that is, is we realized other agencies would have that difficulty. So we actually now have 10 agencies working on the same database, so a database of management information systems, which we build, develop, and tailor for them, Okay. Mm-hmm. So that means we're producing a lot of outcomes and sustaining our own sector. So the next thing was, is how do we engage with, we would have around 700 volunteers. How would we engage with our 700 volunteers and track and, and know the work that they're doing with the older people? So there's an app for volunteers who then, when they visit, then swipe they're doing their visits, they're, they're, they're doing their practical support, all the people recording that, so we then get the information back on that. But they're also, when they're visiting or working with the older person, they also highlight any concerns they have. 
So now all of a sudden then we're getting the information back and staff can follow up and say the next day or at the same time and understand what's going on. So so the app allows families and friends to then link into to our, 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 our services. So it, that so, sort of works on, on sort of two levels, really. I mean, from, from the perspective of maintaining contact with people, that's, that's great. But also from the perspective of actually tracking your volunteers to make sure they're actually doing uh, what they're meant to be doing and acting in good faith must be so important. Absolutely, especially when we 700. We, we've got so many great volunteers and our intention in the next five years to go from 700 to 7,000, right? Mm-hmm. It is the, ultimately, is, is and, and with all the other agencies working on the same system, what it means is we can ensure the quality and standard of service to older people, regardless of who the service provider, whether it's their loan or other people, whether it's a staff member or a volunteer. And uh, the maintenance of, of that database, uh, I mean, with the general data protection regulation coming in, in next May, um, has it proven to be problematic or has there been a strategy in place for, for keeping it secure and well, current? And we, we manage that internally, so obviously we, we have a data compliance manager uh, and that, so we had to set up the structures to make sure that that was in place and that, that we are and we're, will be compliant with the, with, the, with the changes next May. And I suppose those developments led us to the next stage, which is, is how do we engage with the older person on the same sort of platform and system. Mm. And what we're testing and what we have at the moment is, is we have a, a thing we call the the, the, the Be Well app. So it's where older people, and it's been tested with Newell Casala, which is part of DKIT and linked to a, a 2020 project, is, is where we have, uh, where older people can get a tablet or an app on the phone. And what they can do is, is they then monitor their own health and their own well-being. And that can be shared into the app with family, friends, volunteers or staff, back to our MRS system, or shared with with, 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 their, with their own clinicians. So all of a sudden then now we're getting older people monitoring their own health, their mood, their welfare, and then communicating that to the community around them, which, as I said, is alone, their family, their friends, and their, their, their GP. And when you're rolling out um, sort of a, a suite of apps like that on, on different devices, the, the role of user experience is, is sort of paramount. So what kind of feedback were you managing uh, from, from, your, uh, from your users? Well, we were very lucky in putting this together that we created a strategic alliance with Netwell Casala, which is, as I mentioned before, is up in Dundalk, DIT. And they'd done several years of research into user experience and into how, and, build, and, and building to sort of be well, to, to be well for, for, for the older person. So ultimately is, is that accelerated and moved us straight into testing and rollout. Mm. Rather, they had done that and produced all the research from, from their side. So uh, in sort of liaising with um, a body that, that is based uh, sort of away from the charity in, in DKIT. Uh, who makes the initial approach? I, I mean, do, do they come to you and go, look, we have an idea for something we think alone would be a great partner for us, or are you always keeping your eyes open for new innovations either home or abroad? I think I think it's usually the the, the, the non-profit in some ways. The, char- the the researchers are producing the evidence, and it's up to us. And we have a bit of a responsibility, you know. Uh, uh, we need to accelerate the relationship between, say, the universities 
and you know the, the, the likes of non-profits and charities and what we want is the knowledge and the skills flowing out of the universities straight into operations straight into training our staff improving the services and sometimes there can be a time lag and that's why the partnerships are so needed and in some ways rather than starting again where we've done some of this stuff ourselves the obvious thing was is to accelerate it was to build on the knowledge, experience and what had been produced through the tour, tour, third level sector. I think that's an interesting point that you raised there about training because we we assume that it's, it, these things work in one direction, if you will, that the, the older person is the one that needs the hand-holding. But really in this case, you, you have to have your volunteers turning into tutors as well. They have to be super familiar with this stuff. And that, yes, absolutely, and that's what it is. To make anything like this a success, people need that little bit of support. They need that person to turn to. They need that person to build their confidence, to build their confidence, you know? And that's, that's what, 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 what is most important. But like everything else is, once you introduce something new into any of our workplaces, once we get used to it, you wonder how you lived without it. Email, you know, email, you know, at one stage we were all dependent on faxes and do you know what I mean? Now yeah. nobody owns the machine and email, how did we do business without it, etc. Skype, as you mentioned. So all that happens is, is it is all moved, is all moved, is all, is all moved forward. And that was Nag Kitson talking to Sean Moynihan from Alone. That's it for this week's show. Remember, you can get more on all of the Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more from techcentral.ie as well as our weekly tech radio show here online and broadcast every Friday at 6 on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next week, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall who did all the interviews, thank you so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.